It's a good win. There's a lot of people. It's like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. But eat a damn snack. You're like my wife when you get in space. You just get lost. Short steps are better than long steps. That's the only time in your life you're gonna hit short is better than long. Welcome back, everybody, to 614 Headsets, the weekly sports podcast where we say football is unconditional love. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're three high school coaches from Columbus, Ohio. That's why we're 614 Headsets. I can't tell you enough how excited we are to have you on the show with us today. Boys, say hello and introduce yourself. How we doing? I hope everybody grabbed a little uh, snippet from our boy Varney and uh, Birchfield that was posted earlier from the OHFCA clinic thing that Stout put out. Make sure you guys check that stuff out for us on our new website as well. Love it. What's up, everyone? Make sure you follow us on Twitter, too, at 614headsets. Putting out all of our episodes and any kind of nuggets we got on there as well. So appreciate you tuning in. Hey, we can't wait. Give us a give us a subscribe, retweet, share the show. But most importantly, thank you for tuning in. Enjoy this one today. As we get rolling today, 614 Headsets is proud to be presented by Fundraising University. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that helps football teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned, operated, and with their six-step blitz system will help your team maximize profits. As a current coach himself, Brent Maxwell with Fundraising University will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser that will allow you as a coach to focus on your practice time, prep time, player development, and personal time. If you're interested in us running a fundraiser for you, please contact Brent Maxwell at the letter B Maxwell at fundraising, the letter U dot net or 740-501-8946 to learn how you can get started with fundraising. We've got a great guest on tonight, Coach Joel Rodriguez. Coach, we want to thank you for jumping on to this show with us and really getting into a great discussion tonight about Really, we'll have our pick six segment, which I think you've seen a little about. But we really are getting into ways to supercharge your offense and your program. But before we get into all that, a little introduction for Coach Rodriguez. Played offensive line at University of Miami, the U from 2001 to 2004. Uh, academic All-ACC and played for the Tennessee Titans and the Berlin Thunder in NFL Europe for a little bit. And then had multiple stops across college football. Coach, you've been just about everywhere when it comes to your coaching career, Coach Paul, from Ole Miss, Bryant, Fordham, Florida National, back at the U, and now at Akron as the offensive line coach and run game coordinator. So, Coach, we really want to thank you for being on tonight, and I think it's going to be a great episode. Thank you guys so much for having me, man. It's, it's an honor and a pleasure to be you know, on with you guys. I've been watching, this, watching the show and following, and, and obviously being new to Ohio and new to, new to the Columbus area as a, as from a recruiting standpoint. Uh, I think what you guys are doing is really awesome. So I'm happy to be a part of it. Thanks, guys. I'm just really excited. We finally have somebody from a real Miami on the show. <laughs> and no, no, literally. The fake Miami. I oh, clarified that by saying the U because, honestly, 
Donnie, you're you act like you came from the U. Yeah. Stop it. Finally you have, have a prestigious Miami, Miami on here. I'll, so that I'll I'm say excited. the whole I'll say the whole cliche that every Miami, Ohio graduate says, which I think is dumb, but I'll still say it, is that Miami University was a school before Florida was a state. Now, as a little cliche it is, but I'll throw it out there just to rep Miami. I couldn't believe when Gabbard popped off in the uh, pregame presser when they played him in the opener this year. Wasn't uh, the smartest thing to do. Don't go the real Miami was kind of being his words. It was not the smartest thing to do on my good friend Brett Gabbard's hand, but that's okay. Hey, <laughs> either way, I, I'm excited to have Coach Rodriguez on. I, I He's probably been one of my favorite new guys who has come around in the area and recruited our area. I think he's probably one of the most phenomenal uh, relationship-driven type coaches. I think he's a great recruiter. He's got one of my former players and, and Jonas Mann down with him right now, and I know his family has a lot of good things to say about him. And so we had the opportunity to get him on. I was excited. So, Coach, I can't wait to hear your nuggets. You drop on us. Ryan, start your segment, man. Let's go. Let's run it. My favorite one of them all, the Pick 6 segment, baby. The Pick 6 segment is powered by Story Rivals Sports Media. Championships, friendships, and life lessons are among the most meaningful part of the athletic competition. We are passionate about preserving them by offering the most unique highlight experience available. That's right. And Storied Rivals delivers your team's content with services designed to change the way you experience these unforgettable moments now and for a lifetime. Storied Rivals now offers a complete team apparel and player shop customizable to your program. Contact us by mail at info at storiedrivals.com to schedule an appointment with a member of our team. Without further ado, round robin, Sayers, give this man hey, that, his first question. Here, let me just tell you that was, I appreciate you breaking that in half for me. Uh, hey, I, after two ad reads, I knew we had to give you a I'm helping not, I hand. I told you I was not the guy for the ad reads. Hey, it's all right, though. We appreciate you saying a couple sentences, Ryan. The people want to hear your voice. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. A lot. Here we go. Coach, look, I know you're around the game, but you went to a big school at the U down there. If NIL was around when you were around, how much were you asking for if you were to go to the U? Oh, hell. As much as, much as, they'll, as they'll give me. <laughs> Back up the uh, bank trucks. It would probably be like maybe like maybe like a pack of beer maybe it was all, all it's probably worth on the front end, but I'll take it. <laughs> be appreciated with value as time went on, though. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll go with my first one. What's the coolest atmosphere or place or, or just stadium in general that you got to play in? Or maybe coaching, if it, if it was a place that you got to coach in yeah. that was cool and wanted to get play in. Probably the coolest place I've ever coached at because I didn't play there was Tiger Stadium at night at LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, I jaded Ole Miss. We played at LSU. And it's loud. It's probably one of only two or three places where I played or coached in the country where, like, you literally fear for your life at times, like during pregame and third downs and that kind of stuff. It's it's because you know, a lot of places are loud, but that place is loud and like truly hostile. And it was a really cool place. Matt, then they used to use a real tiger too back in the day. Yeah, and, and it's it's right off the side of, of the uh, the tunnel where the visiting team walks out from. So there's like you jog out and like, things warring at you and trying to swipe it. Oh, on that, yeah, man, that would be you hilarious. Know, Maslin had that. It used to have that though. Maslin used to have the real live tiger, but it was the little baby one. Man, <laughs> thanks a lot, everybody, for doing great traditions. Um, Coach, what you, you know, you, you work really hard, and then you get a little bit of a downtime. 
what's maybe your favorite spot to vacation at and what do you like about there and what do you like to do? Yeah, I'm born and raised in South Florida. So I've grown up with sun and beach being like at your disposal. And to me, the upper to middle Florida Keys is like our is like my wife and I's honey hole. Uh, from, from Key Largo down to Marathon, not quite Key West, because Key West is full of people who are trying to run from something crazy in spring break times. But like the upper to mid Keys, man, it's a, it's a very different pace of life. It's quiet. It's slow. It's very chill. Like we go on vacation there for like a week or two in the summertime, and I don't even pack a pair of pants or a pair of shoes, and I'm never and I'm never underdressed. So that's for sure my uh, my favorite. I love it. Sayers. That's great. Here we go. You're up uh, uh, in Northeast Ohio, right? So that's, I'm from Youngstown. Let's mm-hmm. play every, no matter what everybody knows, being up from Northeast Ohio, the pizza is way better there. And <laughs> the pizza down here is so trash. I can't, there, there's only one place, Jets Pizza, that's actually good. The pizza in Columbus pizza is, is one of the worst disgusting. things ever. Jets pizza okay. is disgusting, Sayers. Donnie, you probably that. like cardboard, but my uh, question <laughs> to you is, what's your favorite pizza joint up there, and are you a thick crust or thin crust person? I'm more of a thin crust person. I'm not a big Chicago, like the deep dish stuff, whatever, is not really my jam. I think my time coaching at Fordham in New York City kind of probably, that was really like really good pizza, right? So that got me into that groove. But we don't really eat a ton of pizza here. My wife's not a big Italian eater and whatnot. Probably the best pizza I've had so far here is a place that we order from as a staff sometimes called the Giannini's. Mm-hmm. And it's got, got like pizza and like chicken and, all, and pasta, and all, all kind of stuff. It's really good. It's probably not nearly as good as some of the best places that you want pop shops because I think there's a, a few of those around town. But it's the best one I've had up here so far. Mm. I, I do appreciate that, but I just think if you're in Northeast Ohio, you got to go for the thick crust, which is way better. Yeah, Donnie probably thinks Donato's is good pizza. Donato's sucks, but I, I'll put this out. If there's any pizza place in Columbus that wants to donate a pizza to the 614 headsets to change Ryan Sayers' mind, just hit us up on Twitter. Hey, <laughs> look at you. Wow. Business man. I love it. Coach, right, my, coach. my, my next ahead. question. Oh, okay. All right. My next question. I grew up a huge Washington Redskins fan. What was it like playing with Sean Taylor? What was it? What was his kind of personality like on the team? You see so much of his time in, in the NFL or time at the U. It's like, what, what was he like as a teammate to you? Yeah. So I've been asked this question a bunch before. I, ironically, I was actually asked it a bunch uh, in the pre draft process the year before I came out because that was the year that Sean came out. You know what I mean? This is and my, my answer has never changed. Whether this is not like a fish story where they get bigger as time goes on, right? Since Sean has passed and the time has passed, this has been my, my same answer since the day I was blessed enough to play against Sean in high school and then with him in college. Sean Taylor is the best football player I've ever seen in my life in a pair of cleats, and and that's including all those guys at Miami that are now Hall of Famers and all the guys that should have been Hall of Famers and all the guys we played against in the NFL who became Hall of Famers. I think Sean probably could have been if he did, if he dedicated himself in all conference, at least all conference player at every position on the field, except for maybe defensive tackle and offensive line, because people forget he's legit six three six four, he's about one hundred thirty or forty pounds, so he's bigger than all of our linebackers and some of our defensive ends, and he was faster than all of our receivers and tougher than anyone in the team. He was a freak of nature in every which way possible, and then. You combine that with a literally maniacal, obsessive, compulsive 
sense of competition and you, you get what you got, which is probably one of the best players that, that we've seen in our generation. I'll tell you a funny Sean story. So we used to, like most programs, you have like your, like your testing max out days in the summertime or spring or, or whenever it is right here. And Sean would work out in the very first workout group at 7 a.m. And he'd be whether we're doing short shot or whether we're doing the power clean, whatever it was. And he would like the entire week of testing, he didn't go to class. He would literally wait, sit in the weight room, not shower and watch everyone go. And if anybody beat his numbers, he would like, go get warmed up, go get chains and jump back in and like test until he was the top spot again in the shuttle, in the 40, in the power point, like everything that he thought he was the best at. Like he, you have to kill a guy to beat him. And that's literally, that's not an exaggeration. It's an exactly true story. My answer to this day is Sean's the best I've ever seen in my entire life. And I think maybe I'll ever see, quite frankly. That's awesome. I that that's awesome. I like I said, I grew up in Redskins fans. Jersey's hanging in my closet, and him his years kind of playing. I was like when I I really started to watch the games with my dad. I remember watching games with my dad early on. So that was that's pretty cool to hear. Yeah, and a great dude. Yeah, really good dude. Yeah, I'm gonna start asking kids tomorrow in class if they know who Sean Taylor is. Yeah. I'm gonna start quizzing some football players tomorrow, and it's I'm gonna see if they know. A lot don't know, man. It's sad. Yeah. I like asking the kids wearing Jordans, but you ever watch a Jordan game? No. Nope. I'm like, <laughs> or they got Jordan all on their folder, but I'm going to ask. That's great. I want to know. Coach, I've seen this awesome challenge. All right. It's called the Cinco Challenge. Have you seen this? I have not. It's been floating around in the coaching circles. All right. Let's say right now, Akron universally only gets to have five total schemes or plays next year. You can run as many formations or unique things off of it. What are the five core concepts, run, pass, screen, that's going to be in your offense? Yeah, I think obviously as, as a line coach, I'm going to lean more on the run. Right, so inside zone, outside zone, pin and pull, and then quick game, and then seven-man protection for your shots and your, your third down stuff. To me, nowadays with all the evolution of the RPO world and pass run options in some cases, you know, I mean, it's supposed to run pass options depending on formation and play call. I think that kind of gives you your quick game and most of your move the ball drop back game, quite frankly. You know what I mean? We're playing. I love um, it. And I think like, a couple of max protection shots, third and longs, or, you know, most of the field. I love it. I, I saw it. it was a cool challenge. I just wanted to see, I wanted to pick your brain before we get in the real X's and O's and get into uh, talking about it, which I can't wait to hear what your five are. That's a pick six segment brought to you by Storied Rivals. So one of the things I was most excited about when we started talking about having an episode with Coach Rodriguez is thinking about the amount of football this guy has seen all over the U.S. and from a college perspective, even a high school perspective. And when you think about that, he's probably seen a lot of good. And he won't say it, but he's probably seen a lot of bad, too, across all that. So he has this unique perspective I think he can offer to us and everybody listening. And uh, so that's why today we want to talk about if he could give us Hopefully we get to five. Hopefully. If not, we'll help him out. But five ways that he thinks you could supercharge your program or offense. And so, Coach, we're going to let you be the star of this show and, and, and chime in a little bit with some other questions. But what do you got for us? Yeah, that's great. And I, I think for the first thing before I answer the question, i give you the list I wanted to say to clean in a little bit to what you were talking about, right? Like I feel blessed. 
my career that I've been able to coach at a number of different levels, right? A lot of guys have a very charmed existence in this profession and they get with the right guy at the right time and they're either a GA and a QC and a full-time or all at the at the power five or the FPS level. That's great. And that's awesome. We all want that. But I've been very fortunate to be, I'm old enough that I got into it as a graduate assistant when there was only one GA and that guy was coaching a, a room at the same time. Coached at essentially the D2 level with Bryant. And then the FCS level and then the G5 level and the P5 level at the FBS. So like the one thing I will tell you guys is, and for, for the listeners is two things. First of all, like there are really good football coaches that never coach college football, right? Some of the best coaches that have ever put on a headset or a whistle are high school coaches or D3 guys or Juco guys or whatever it is. And on the flip side, unfortunately, there's some really guys, there's just some guys with some really high profile job titles at some really recognizable logos that can't draw living guys on the board, you know? So I think the first thing I would say is your point, let's never judge a book by its cover or a coach by the logo on his t-shirt, because I think there's a lot of good that we can all learn from each other. That was probably one of the coolest things about like the COVID times, like you have all these online clinics and stuff and it was so interactive and it was, I learned as much from talking to some high school guys that were there to talk or other guys talk as learned from other coaches that were at our level. So anyways, I didn't mean to go from the soapbox there, but that was, I thought it was important to, to, to say, right? All right, so to go with the five, and I took more so of a program approach with this, this these five things here. But we can I always- like it. That's good, Coach, because Ryan's done a terrible job getting defensive guys on here. And has <laughs> been offense. Everybody's going to appreciate you went with that. Yeah. It's a good job. Yeah, thanks, Coach. Hopefully, appreciate hopefully. it. <laughs> <laughs> hey. The thing is, though, Stout, honestly, you and Donnie look amazing tonight with your matching uh, shirts, and I love how he's over there giggling on your jokes that you say. Champions of the world. You guys are disgusting. Over here. (laughs) Sorry, Coach Rodriguez. Good. Appreciate you. Um, All right, so the five things, and they all kind of build upon each other or maybe draw from each other maybe. But the first thing I would say, and this is – Gonna sound very cliche, but hear me out here for a second because I know it's I know it's a popular kind of hashtag or whatever phrase. I think you have to start with why, and not just like from a TED talk, Simon Sinek, like big. big you have to understand that like players nowadays. I don't care whether they're high school sophomores and they've grown up with an iPhone in their hand their entire lives, or they're transfers who are grad transfers who are 25, 26 years old. They've still all grown up in that same information age where information has always been available to them at the click of their finger. And so they're more inquisitive by nature and they're more apt and that never really have been steered away from asking why, you know what I mean? So I think the first thing in terms of building a program or trying to supercharge your program or whatnot is understand that everything should have a clearly definable and clearly um, explained reason as to why we're doing this as a program. Why does it? Why is it going to help us win? And there, and you got to pretty much draw a pretty clear line from that to winning, without a lot of steps in between for the players, right? You know what I mean? That's the first thing. The second thing is, and, and I stole this a little bit from Coach Diaz when I worked for him in Miami. But like when Coach Diaz first took over in Miami as a head coach, like his mission statement for the whole program was he wanted to create, because this is obviously at the very beginning of like the age of the portal and guys leaving and that kind of stuff, and similar coaches, and he wanted to build a, create an environment 
and I guess for lack of a better term, a culture, but that's such an overused word nowadays, but create an environment that's hard to walk away from, right? That's the one really equalizing thing that's happening right now in the world of college football is that the, 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 the culture, the, the, the power struggle is more equal now than it was before between the players and the coaches. It used to be where a player signed it, he was stuck there for as long as he had to be there until he graduated, unless he wanted to move down or sit a year. And coaches were free to go. If, if an assistant coach got hired under false pretenses and got lied to or realized it's a shitty situation, he could get out of Dodge whenever he wanted to. The player was stuck there, right? Now, that isn't the case anymore. So I think it's incumbent upon us as coaches at our level at college, but also in high school, because the transfer rules in most of the country are pretty lax. And, and wherever they're not lax, they're, they're getting more lax. Let's face it. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to be accused of limiting player options and options for families. So the answer isn't to, to hug them tighter so they can't see what's out there. The answer is to create an environment and a culture that they don't want to walk away from. And even if they're not playing, how can you add value? How can you clearly define their roles and communicate that on a regular basis to them? That's the second thing. The third thing I would say is, and this is a big Coach Moorhead kind of phrase, be demanding but not demeaning. And I think myself as a coach and most of the guys in our staff and Coach Moore included and Coach Moore to us as a staff, like he's very demanding of us, right? Do your job, be a pro, right? Like, I mean, you got to recruit, you got to be a mentor, you got to be an academic counselor, you got to be a, rec a lead recruiter, like all these different things. And it's impossible It's possible to, to be very demanding on your players fairly without being demeaning, right? And if there is something needs to be uh, a, a behavior or a technique or an effort, let's say, that needs to be corrected, you can correct it even in a very even in a very aggressive manner. Oh, I know I do for sure. You know what I mean? And I, I tell the players, don't lose the message right in the delivery. Like, I'm going to, like, confront the issue and I'm going to correct it pretty aggressively at times, but I'm not going to call you names, right? Like, hey, that sucked, not you sucked. Or, hey, that's horse crap, not your horse crap. I think, it's a, I think that's a very clear, big difference that some of us older guys maybe missed because we were coached and raised on those, that kind of hard-ass coaching where, like, you were called names at times. And it was just status quo. That's not the case for in today's day and age. I think, for me, like, I found myself last year more than ever talking, and I wasn't even involved as a coach a lot of times, but picking up some of the players and, and reminding them to to listen to the message, not the tone. And how a lot of kids today have a really hard time separating that and just trying to help them through understanding like, hey, we're all out here. We're passionate. We're trying to win. Coaches yell. Players probably always feel like they can't do anything right at times. And so it was one of those things I said, just focus on the message, not the tone and see if that helps the way you respond to things and, and controlling your emotions. And I found that last year was the most I had ever done it. And it, it could just be a changing of the times. Yeah, no, I think it is for sure. And and I, I think that I, I think it's we can fight it. We can say that the kids nowadays are softer or this or that. But at the end of the day, they're not changing anytime soon. You know what I mean? This is the culture we live in now and either either adapt to it. It's kind of like if you coach defense 10 years ago and you didn't believe RPOs are going to catch on where you're probably out of work now. You know what I mean? Like you have to adjust to that. Ryan, what were you going to say, man? I think it's an adjustment just based off of you're working with full families, right? Like you, you only get them at this age. Like for us, we get them after 15 years or whatever they're experiencing at home or like whatever they're yeah. experiencing on the field before they're getting to us. And then you're like, 
hoping to break all those habits in four years, right? As a high school teacher or as like a, a coach or a mentor. So I feel like that's hard. And then you guys in college get them. And now mom and dad isn't there. Mom and dad can't really control as much as they were able to control in high school. Not that they should have control of stuff, but you get what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. And mom and dad, in some cases, still try to control even from afar at our level. And you just got you to, gotta, that's probably another topic for another podcast, right? It's, right. You want to try and see, I think another part of this too, that probably talk about is having clearly defined boundaries between, not that like your players and their families are at arm's distance, but like, hey, I'm not calling our starting center's mom and asking her how she does her job at the bank or critiquing her on her sales last week. So if a parent reaches out to me and calls me, which I haven't had to happen in a long time, quite frankly, but it, early in my career, it did happen a couple of times. If I have a parent reach out and talk to me about like playing time or why is Jimmy not playing or why is Johnny playing for Jimmy, whatever it is, I, I would, my response has always been our policies and program, whether it is or not, it's my policy, is I don't talk about playing time or depth chart, or whatever, via phone call or text message. Right? If you really want to come into the office one day, and sit down and we can watch some practice film and we can talk about and we can look, at, look at our, our grades and that kind of stuff. And then at that point, we'll talk about because uh, usually when, when you when you start getting the weeds with that, they start figuring out pretty quickly um, why that is. And I'll be honest, with you, like in my I'm not sure about you guys, you, probably, you guys might have more experience than I do with this because you deal with parents a little more directly, maybe at high school level. But in my limited experience with this, the handful of times it's happened and I've taken that approach, I've had two parents that actually took me up on that offer and came in and sat down and, jo and joined me. It was both when I was at Fordham, once at Bryan and once at Fordham. And I, th that meeting ended with the parents actually apologizing and thanking us how we're doing things and why we're doing things. And then in one case, in tears, because that mom just wasn't getting clear information or good, clear answers because her son was embarrassed, right? You know what I mean? About his current situation on the dead chart or whatever it was. That's one of my favorite things that we do, though, is we do the coffee with the coaches on Saturday. We've done it two years in a row now. Obviously, we lost the, the one game we lost in the regular season this year was by one point the first game of the season. And everyone was so mad. I like, thought we wanted to lose that game. So we had the uh, parents come in after that game. And that was it's so funny how they change their tone after they watch the game and you're explaining the game. And we have, we teach it just like if the parents weren't in there, we'll ask the kid, what are you supposed to do here? And then they'll tell you, and then you play it and they don't do what they're saying that they're supposed to do. And so it, it, then it's just great to show the parents like, no, it, we did not coach that to happen sometimes, especially in those type of games when you have a parent upset about those things. I, I think that's actually a, a hell of a, a thing to have in your program, that copper coaches, because now you're like essentially meeting what's going to be a, a source of conflict at some point in time. You're addressing it before it gets to a point of conflict and you're meeting it kind of head on, right? And now you probably get way less phone calls and texts on the course of the week than you probably did before that was a thing in your program. Because I just get yelled at way less in the stands and the, like, that's it. That's what's better though. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. I like that actually. I can't wait to show up one day. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna sabotage coffee with the coaches one day where we don't have something on a Saturday. I'm gonna That's come never, in just Bruce like, is never giving you guys coach that coverage. Yeah. What in the world? Oh, I can't wait, man. But I love it. Coach, what do you got for number four? 
So number four and five kind of uh, fall, uh, again, they, they're all somewhat related, but for number four, what we're talking about right now with today's players and, and culture and so on, it, it's two things. Number four, I would say embrace today's players, right? Because, again, I, I keep saying it like, are they different than they were 20 years ago? Yes. Is that right, wrong, or indifferent? It doesn't really matter. It's just the way they are right now, and it's, and it's that's not they're not going to change anytime soon. And again, either adjust with the times or become a dinosaur and go extinct. And there's a lot about, and again, what does that mean exactly, right? I, I kind of touched on it. Like for me, I find myself, whenever we, for example, we changed the way that we blocked the play side tackle and inside zone last spring. Okay. Like I, I didn't just walk, I couldn't just walk into the mirror and say, hey guys, from now on tackles, right? Place of inside zone, you're doing this or whatever. Like I had explained some, hey, this is an issue that we're having. It's been somewhat of a systemic issue for the last, our, our whole time together. Here's how we're going to change it, and this is how it's going to get better. And here's some clips of maybe some other people doing it or something similar to that and it working. So that that's start with why, like understanding that, but also that is a big part of embracing today's players. Same thing like we talked about like being demanding, not demeaning in terms of embracing today's player. Like there are certain, you got to be a little bit of a shrink as well as you are a football coach nowadays, right? Like I have to understand, and we have to understand as coaches, like there's certain guys that I can't get them to do what I want them to do or what they can do if I don't call them out and get after them verbally, loudly, aggressively. And I know who those guys are, or I have to know who those guys are and address them accordingly. Then there's other guys that if I yell at them that way or if I get loud with them, I lose them for like 36 hours, right? They can't function anymore. And I have, doesn't mean they're soft, doesn't mean it's just the way that they respond to coaching and what and what kind of coaching they take best i have to understand that and then meet that player where he's at right with that kind of message and that kind of delivery right you know what i mean like you can't be you can't just expect 20 guys or how many guys you coach right to just adjust to your way of doing it that's not really fair to them there's one of you and 20 of them you know what i mean so i think that's one thing and then number five which is another part of that that's mostly off the field is i think we have to invest in today's players and like, what does that mean? And how is that different? Like, it isn't just like rub some dirt on it. It isn't just figure it out or toughen up. Like players want to know. I think we've always, players have always wanted to know that you care about them, that you care if they've eaten lunch that day, that you care if, they, if they're being heard and whatever they're going through. Like we have guys on our team, like every team does, that struggle academically. They're in study hall and they're in support meetings and that kind of stuff. And you know, I meet with those guys weekly as well. And, and a big a question I, I ask them all the time is, like, do you think you're getting all the help that you need? And if not, where's that gap? And can we fill that gap? You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's just part of investing in today's play. That's one way of doing it, obviously. The, the occasional meals. Listen, Akron does not have the budget that Miami had in terms of occasional meals and going out and sitting guys on boat rides and stuff like to, to bond outside of the building. Like, we had to do it on the budget here, right? We, we quote unquote balling on a budget, right? You know what I mean? So like, we have like taco night at the house, right? We have the guys over for tacos. We have spaghetti night, right? We have a barbecue before training camp starts where it's pizza and can jam and cornhole in the backyard and stuff, music playing. The Akron Rubber Ducks, which is the main, the Marley Bay the ballpark in town, they have an Akron online night in the summer. We go on a Thursday night, we get like $5 tickets, right? I pay for all the guys, we hang out. They throw the first pitch out. The guys are involved in all the in-game promotion stuff, and they have a freaking blast. It's awesome. You know what I mean? But those are things that you have to try to find ways to invest in, in today, quote-unquote, today's player.
How much do you guys as a program invest into mental health coaches or mental performance coaches? Are you guys investing into those programs as the football team in Akron? Yeah, so two answers. Yes, we are, but is it enough? I would say it's never enough. Like the same way it's never enough. You're never investing enough in strength conditioning. You're never investing enough in mental health and mental conditioning, I think, right? More so than mental health because some guys are pretty strong mentally. From a health standpoint, but they need some more. Short answer is yes. So we actually we're blessed here at Akron. We have a guy named Dr. Sam Mignon, who's actually a sports performance specialist. He's a clinical uh, psychologist and so on and so forth. He's worked with multiple the Olympic team, multiple bigger colleges, and uh, currently working on loan with some NFL franchises doing some pre-draft like work. And he has an office in our building. He's in there most days and we actually every tuesday every wednesday morning after so in the off season and we're this just started now this is a very new thing for us right but in the fall every thursday night after practice that's usually an early night for practice you know what i mean we had mindset training with dr sam and it was optional so a dozen or so guys would go and it would be a half hour an hour and just him talking about like techniques for when you hit adversity how to respond, how to be in the moment, how to be present, how to have a one play at a, game, one play at a time mentality. All the things we all know are important in terms of a mindset standpoint. Right? But we're taking it a step further this offseason. We're actually, every Tuesday morning after the team works out and does like their player-led practices and the team run and that kind of stuff, we bring the whole team back up to the team meeting and we have a half an hour to an hour of the whole team and staff in there together with Dr. Sam doing mindset training. It's like a watered down version of what Alabama was doing with like Trevor Moad and those guys, right? Coming in once every couple of times, uh, once in a while and doing that. We're doing it weekly right now. And then I sit in the back with my iPad and I'm taking like copious notes and everything. Cause like every time I meet with our guys one-on-one or we have our install meetings in the morning on Wednesday, Friday, whatever it is, like I'm trying to find buzzwords or ways to reinforce what Dr. Sam is preaching. It's, it's literally as important for today. Again, talk about investing in today's player. That is as important in investing in today's player as how much they bench squat or clean, quite frankly. Yeah. Coach, I got a question and it relates to one of the things I wrote down in there, but it, it, and for all five of these ways you listed the supercharger, take that next step forward with a program or a unit. And I think I know the answer, what your answer will be, but is there a group that you've seen in the, in, in your time coaching where, man, if you get this group to, um, either buy into some aspects of, of one of these five ways or where you can feel these different strategies you laid out hitting them sooner than others. Is there a group you've seen where when that happens quicker, it brings up everybody else, like a, a unit? I, I tend to believe offensive line, right? Like when you build up your offensive line, it trickles down to other position groups. Some people I think might say quarterback, maybe linebacker, but is there a group that you've seen like if you really pour your time into it or if they start to, take that next step quicker, it trickles down in the rest of the team? I think it's both sides of the line of scrimmage, right? I, I, I think I, I Coach Morris is all the time, like every good team that he's been a part of and, and that we've been a part of together or, or independently, the, the the mentality of that team has been dictated by the offensive and defensive lines, right? It's it's a line of scrimmage game. It always has been, always will be. That's never going to change, right? And also from a number standpoint, those are going to be your two biggest units on the yeah. team. You can get your offensive and defensive line, mindset standpoint, going the right direction, pulling the right way, saying the right things, thinking the right way. You've already got almost half your roster doing that already, quite frankly, or, or a third of it. So we have 21 guys in the offensive line 
in the fall here, and the defense line has probably close to 16 or 18. So that's literally almost half the, over a third of the roster, in, 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 depending on your roster size. So I think it's I think it's line of scrimmage because from a size standpoint, also they're the bigger human beings, mm-hmm. the larger mammals, and they tend to demand more respect and take up more space in the room. So I would I would say it's both sides of the line. I had one coach, and this is I gotta get my wife to shout out. This is a family show around here. She comes up with some ideas every night. Pretty good at being a coach's wife. What strategies do you focus on when maybe you're more outpowered by a more dominant program or team? Is there some things, hey, we're going to play a really good defense this week. Is there some concrete things that you do from a game plan perspective to neutralize that zone? I want to try and also this, unless your quarterback is like a, is a wheeler and dealer in death in the pocket, Right, or from the pocket, uh, your quarterback has to be a, a, a throw with his legs because that's ultimately the, the, the biggest equalizer from a number standpoint because you're trying to make the numbers not even match but be favorable for you, and that's the best way to do it. Right? Spread them out and have some quarterback run game element to it. Without that, I'm not sure you can do that unless your quarterback is just deadly accurate. For us, and, and that, and quite frankly, it's called a spade a spade. That happens in the MAC two or three times a year, right? You're playing those money games right. programs or SEC or whatever it is. You want to limit the amount of drop back that, you, that you're in because that's a lot of bad things happen when you're in, in drop back against better players. You know what I mean? Uh, you can't get open as fast, can't put it, can't uh, you know block for as long. The reads happen a little faster for your quarterback. Uh, you want to try and find as many ways. Like for example, we played Kentucky last year, and like there was probably not one def- one of our guys up front that could block one of their guys up front one on one for more than a second, unless the guy was just taking the playoff, right? You know what I mean? So luckily there were th- there were three down operation, and structurally they gave you the ability to create three double teams at a time, running certain schemes. Right, so try to find as many double teams as possible, limit stay, stay out of third and long, which is obviously easier than done. Stay out of drawback, and then the last thing I would say is, and this probably goes for all games, but especially when you're quote unquote outmanned, like calling inside, like calling your best run play on third and nine is a good play, right? Because they're not expecting it. You might pop on worst case scenario, right? You gain three, three, four or five yards, and you're punting from a better position, anyways, right? And you're and, and you're shortening the game for yourself, you know. I think it's a good list. It seems some of it sounds easy, but when you think about the the practicality, I like to listen to the thought process behind it all. Yeah, yeah, and I, this was these last two years for me here have been eye opening as far as that because like even when we were at Fordham at the FCS level when we played up like one FBS game a year. The talent gap from Fordham to Temple, for example, or even Fordham to Cincinnati back in 2012, and we beat Temple, we beat Army in those couple of years. But like the talent gap from Akron to Tennessee last year or two years ago, right? You know what I mean? Was wider than that gap between Akron and Temple, for example, or Fordham and Temple. Sorry. So I've I'm still learning that as I go through because I haven't had as many of those games in my career as I have in the past couple of years. Coach, I got a question as it relates to offensive line. If, if Is there any spot that you feel along those five guys that almost needs to be that centerpiece of like key position? I think a lot of people always think off the jump like it's left tackle. Like it's, it's your blindside tackle. That's what like the that's where the money's made in the NFL, like if we're being honest. Is there a piece that you think needs to be that either vocal kind of leader of the group or just needs to be that steady piece early on to, to get a group going quicker or just in a more efficient way, however you want to phrase it? 
Yeah. Short answer is no, but not like, it's not important. I just, I don't know if there's one position that you can say like, that, oh, if we don't have a good one or a great one or a vocal one here, then we're screwed. I, I've not had that experience. And quite frankly, I think some of that sometimes changes based or it might be more emphasized or not emphasized depending on what scheme you run, right? Like if you're going to drop back a lot, football air and run the air raid, then yeah, your left tackle quarterback better be really good, right? You know what yeah. I mean? If you're going to run a ton of power, to the right, then your left guard better be pretty damn good because he's pulling on time, right? So I, I think it's somewhat subjective to who you are and what you do. I've never felt like if we don't have a dude at this one position, then we're gonna we're gonna struggle. Yeah, I've always thought it's like center. It's kind of brains of the operation. It's like a Mike linebacker to some extent. Yeah. So, yeah. I, but like, that's my point. People will always say left tackle, but like you said, there's so many different aspects to it. Yeah. You could have two maulers at guard. You could have a brainiac at center. You could have two tackles who are freak athletes, and he didn't do that. But Donnie, what, what position did you play? Tackle. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought, I think when teams say, we hear at the higher level, you hear them say the center, but that's because the center does so much in the yeah. NFL with like IDing and calling things and, yeah. and doing that. I like Coach's point about it depends on your scheme. A spread team, if your center cannot dial in the ball great from a, even a snap standpoint, how much that can change everything. But like Coach said, if you go underneath, it don't matter. But I think in a lot of modern offenses, it probably is a really important spot as it can throw off a lot. It ain't no sense running any read-type plays or anything like that if the snap's here and you only have a chance to get to a read. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, think, I think no matter what offense you run, there's always – some, in some cases more, but some stress mentally on your center, right? He's got to identify fronts. He's going to get you the right protection calls and times, that kind of stuff. But I, listen, I've been like at Fordham our last year there, we had a really, a pretty veteran group around our, a young center. I said our right tackle was a true freshman, but left guard and left tackle were all like three plus year starters. Center was the first year starter, right tackle was a true freshman. So we took a lot off of the center's plate and just had the guards. Our, our left guard was a two-time all-league player and, and played in the NFL for a couple of years. And he was like a he was like a 35 ACT kid pre-med at a high, at a high school. So, like, he pretty much ran the show for us from a communication standpoint in 2014, I guess it was, at Fordham. But I think mentally, yeah, if, you're, if, you're, if your center doesn't have a great sense of things or, or is not very vocal, that could probably hamstring you pretty good. Coach, I had a question. Um, I think Ohio does a really good job preparing players to be at the next level but just from a college perspective speaking to a lot of high school coaches what's something you think we could be doing more of to make our players either better or or, or more ready for that next level yeah i think pretty good question actually i think it's a couple things i think that from a skill player standpoint i think ohio is probably behind a little bit in terms of seven on seven and now you do, the pendulum has swung too far away from that in certain states, right? Like I'm, I'm from Florida and I recruit South Florida and seven on seven down there in the off season has become like AU basketball where guys play for these travel teams. And there's like 20 different high schools represented on one team. And then because of that guys transfer to play with their buddies from seven on seven and the seven on seven coaches become more important in the recruiting process in some cases than the, than the high school coaches do. So we don't want that in, in Ohio because that, that that's not a, a a safe, sustainable model for the kids. You know what I mean? But I think opening up more opportunity for teams, 
if you guys at, at Gehanna want to throw against Reynoldsburg or whoever once a week or twice a week, you should be able to do that without having to jump through hoops and wait for certain times of year or whatnot. You know what I mean? Restrictions on our, in Ohio versus some other states. Yeah, exactly. I think the readiness and the skill level of the big guys in this state, in this area in general, is awesome. I think I think the line coaches and in general in, in Ohio and the Midwest and like Western Peak uh, are like other of other parts of the country. I think the fact that there's good and not like crazy off the wall like O line trainers and gyms and performance centers in the areas is awesome because even though it may not be exactly what we coach or you coach, but they're still doing O line type things and there's so much muscle memory that's involved in that. I think that's awesome too from a skill standpoint. As far as just open up the ability to have more seven on seven, because like you got to figure if you're like like you're, you're like like your guy at Gehanna, that that quarterback, right? Like think about all the throws and all the reads and all the stuff that he's missed out on over not doing seven on seven for you know three months out of the year, whatever it is, over a guy in Texas or a guy in Florida or California where they have the ability to do that year round. You know, um, I just think it's not what's within those kids' best interest. It's definitely been something that we've heard the last kind of year or two is the from the college perspective, a little bit of more things are even that they'll go with a kid down south because of what you're saying, the more reps, the more polished from those opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. And like same like say you're say that our core coach or our head coach or whoever wants it wants to see quarterbacks throw live in the spring or in the, you know, whatever, before he decides if we're going to offer him or take commitment or whatever it is, because no one takes a kid's commitment anymore quarterback without seeing him throw live, right? That's the thing. Well, you don't have spring practice up here like they did happen in the South, which that's a different conversation, but now it's now you're taxing the kid to throw whenever a coach comes in. You got to work that around the schedule and so on and so forth. Whereas like, hey, we're going to throw against Reynoldsburg. We're going to throw against Pick North or whatever it is on Tuesday at four o'clock, you'd have 20 coaches are watching throw on the low end, 20 coaches. So that's a good point. Guys, you got anything else for coach years about getting at that time? You're going to send us a bill. We go over it. So I'm saying, I think he's, he's already calculating how much he's going to charge us. Yeah. <laughs> no coach. I appreciate it. who's going to have week one this year coming up. We are, we, we got the Buckeyes in Columbus. The Buckeyes. All right, man. Hey, well, I wish you luck. I hope you have a, a, a great off season, a great year. Tell my boy Taylor, I said hello. And my boy Jonas, I said hello. And we can't appreciate you for coming on here and uh, bringing us kind of five ideas to help make your program better, but also answer some of those other questions. So coach, you're awesome. We just really appreciate you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you guys coming on. I love what you guys are doing for the, for the game, man. Thanks so much, guys. I love appreciate it. Ryan, you. wrap this bad boy up for us real quick. Thank you, Coach. And then also, man, shout out and thank you to those guys that stopped up in the room this past weekend when we were up at the OHSCA um, clinic. That was a super cool thing. So make sure you download those uh, audios when, um, from when we were up there. I think we have Birchfield and Varney already posted, right? Um, and those guys did a phenomenal job. Also, make sure it's that time of the year for fundraising university for us. Uh, we're going to be meeting with Brent here in April coming up. Me and him were just texting today about it, too. So make sure you guys are getting with him. And then also Story Rivals to be able to set up your uh, gear um, stores so your your coaches, your players, and your parents can get all their, their gear set up for the upcoming year. 
think Absolutely. that's about it. Right? I think yeah, that's everything. Great, great clinic, great time. Great. We pumped out two episodes last week, another one today. Things will slow down a little bit for us here. Make sure you subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on your favorite other platforms. Head to the new home of 614 Headsets at 614headsets.com. Check out the lab. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in.